Appreciate you all being here. We're going to take some calls today off Twitter spaces. And uh, we got to kind of decompress from the last three weeks of interesting guests and trying to make sense of what we've got here. Um, I'm sort of astonished at the kinds of uh, things that upset people, but I'll address some of the things they've emailed us and where I've made mistakes. I'll be happy to clarify my position and where I have not. Um, I'll just restate my position. And uh, Caleb very uh, interestingly set up today's show as am I anti-vaxxer? So I will address that as well. Let's get right into it. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And of course, I would be remiss if I did not uh, bring up the fact that Queen Elizabeth II has passed away. And um, I don't know, you know, sometimes very long, rich lives uh, need to be celebrated uh, and not just mourned. And she certainly is one of these people. And if you were a fan of the crown, you see the extraordinary circumstances she lived through and uh, really the great leadership that she showed during some very uncertain times. Uh, I have seen really wild, awful things being said about her on uh, social media, uh, in terms of her being a co you know colonizer and all this kind of stuff. Uh, hmm, interesting. Uh, you have to. I, I don't know what to say about human history. It's full of awful violence and awful rapacious behaviors. As the people, as the figures who eventually led people into a more stable, flourishing existence, uh, even if they had horrible periods in their life, do we condemn them forever after that? I, I, I don't know what to do with that. I, I just, it's, to, to me, history is full of a lot of uncertain story and a lot of uncertain circumstances where I certainly don't... Uh, claim to be in a position to be able to make a judgment of what, of what someone should or ought to have done that would have made things better. Oftentimes, not being aggressive would have resulted in horrible terrors for other people. So I don't know. Uh, Think of all the great movies and storylines we've watched over the years, though, yeah. about her. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, just, just the, that's what I said, the crown, just the crown. It was really what I would... We really all got in touch with her with that. So now people are sending me emails where uh, I have misspoken and some and some of the things I just got flat out wrong. So let me address those things. Uh, I dare any of you to talk on a microphone for 10, 12 hours a week and not fumble a little bit. Uh, so I'm happy to address where I might have said something wrong. Uh, an anesthesiologist sent me uh, something that I said, I guess, on the Michael Jackson special. That yeah, it came out on Harvey, Netflix recently, I guess. That Harvey uh, Levin put together. And I, I mistakenly said that propofol was a short-acting barbiturate. And I started thinking about where, why do I think about it that way? Because it's hard for me not to think about it that way because it fits so well into the biology of barbiturates. I know it's an anesthetic induction agent that is generally CNS suppressant which is how I, and it acts mostly through the GABA system. I understand the exact mechanism of the GABA effect is slightly different. It, it's kind of like 
calling an opiate an opioid. I mean, this is a technicality. It is a non-barbiturate induction agent because the molecule that it's built from is not specifically barbiturate. Just the way an opioid is not specifically built off the core of the poppy juice, which creates the opiate, it's a fully synthetic painkiller called an opioid. I mean, this is really splitting hairs. So uh, yeah, I got it wrong by calling it an, a short-acting uh, barbiturate. It's a, <laughs> a short-acting non-barbiturate induction agent, but none of that uh, makes it any less extraordinary that it was being administered to somebody outside a hospital setting. That's the That was the point, which was it re requires a crash cart and an anesthesiologist to use these medicines. I had never seen them out of an ICU, a surgical center, or a surgical suite. And when they said that he had been receiving that medication, it was astonishing to me. It literally, they, you could have told me that an asteroid hit his house, and it would have made more sense to me than giving a, a healthy person propofol. Uh, it is anesthetic. Okay, so, and it has, and I've seen people withdraw from it, and I've seen people get into medical problems from the long-term use of it. Uh, there's all kinds of issues related to it. Uh, and, and by the way, I think one of the reasons that I, I start thinking of it as related to barbiturates is that the way patients in benzodiazepine withdrawal respond to the administration of propofol is virtually almost identical clinically to how they respond to the administration of actual barbiturates. Okay, so there was that one. You really, this is exciting stuff, everybody. But people are—they uh, get very <laughs> bent out of shape. We read your emails. Yeah, very bent. Especially out of shape. the ones when you're yelling at uh, us. Am, am I wrong, Caleb? Is it sort of extraordinary no, the degree to which they? It, it really right? is because I I expected for your answer to be like it, you we were completely wrong. But you're like this is really splitting hairs. I didn't even know how yeah, close. And, and it's it going to be the same thing with every one of these. Every one <laughs> right. of these is going to be like this. <laughs> Uh, here's an email about a possible misquote. A guy's wife told me that you were incorrect when you said, how dare you? There are no nerve endings in the vagina. Now, I don't know what I said, uh, but clearly I would not have said that. I, I might have said something like the that most of the nervous input goes to the clitoris, or I might have been talking about the, the top part of the vagina. Uh, but I Was it, this on After Dark? I imagine it must have been because that's the only place I really would discuss something like that. But it, it is a very complex uh, neurobiology and neuroanatomy that is actually different person to person. But uh, let's be is clear. Is it on the inside or the outside? The nerves? Everybody. The vagina is actually, the nerves are on the inside. The vagina is on the outside. This is a thing we argue about on After Dark all the time, where I talk about the fact that it, that the mouth to the anus is a tube that is technically outside your body. It travels through the, the body, but it remains outside of the body itself. The only way you get inside the, the inside the body is a completely sterile environment. And if you get in there, you get an infection immediately. So the, the tube that is our gastrointestinal system is just a tube that runs from here all the way through our body and remains outside our body. If you can put now, something in it, it's on the outside. It has relationships with the inside because of the absorptive capacities of various different linings. Even the mouth has an absorptive capacity. So you can get things to the inside more easily across these, these, uh, these endothelia. But 
it, the tube itself is outside the body. Everything that travels <laughs> through the tube is outside the body. Watch After Dark if you want to yes, hear exactly. more about this. So here's uh, here's another one. Uh, why won't you apologize for this disgusting, incorrect definition you made of the origin of the word Murano? Now, uh, what does that mean? Well, let me give the definition. So there was a period of history in Spain and Portugal where. Uh, Catholicism, I think it was the, the days of uh, the two famous king and queen. Uh, uh, shoot, who was it? Help me, somebody. Ferdinand and Alexander. Ferdinand and uh, Isabella. And uh, they, they forced everyone to convert to Catholicism. And here's the quote, conversos, which were people, Jews that converted, who did not fully or genuinely embrace Catholicism, but continued to practice Judaism in secrecy, were referred to as... Judizantes, or pejoratively as Moranos. Moranos. And Moranos were, there it is, living in the Iberian Peninsula who converted but didn't continue to practice Judaism. I guess what this person is gravely upset about is not mentioning that it has a pejorative quality to it, which A, was not I don't know anything about that. I just know the historical term. And it was not me that brought it up. It was Adam Carolla. Moran, and, is that what you're talking and about? And Adam Carolla was talking about how people today are like the Moranos of, of the Iberian Peninsula during that era because there are lots of people with opinions there that they and and they practice their opinions in their home and they're afraid to tell anybody. We live in a time when people are afraid to express themselves. And the conversos, Moranos, whatever whatever term you'd like to use, was what he was referring to in a doctor in a Adam and Drew podcast. I don't, and then I guess I brought it up here quickly in relation to something. I was sort of, I think I did bring it up here in, in passing, but the full conversation we have about it was uh, at the Adam and Dr. Drew podcast. And at that time, we may have said it was during the Moor invasion, which was the mistake. We, obviously, it's during the Catholic, the, the uh, Catholic, uh, what we call it, conversion. The conversion, everyone had to convert to Catholicism. And if we made a mistake, that was our mistake. So we receive uh, gobs of emails of people freaking out because I misspoke an historical moment in a just in a casual conversation between uh, a one period of history and another, not when the Moors took over and the Catholics took over. Got it. And, uh, can, you know, uh, a short-acting indoctrination versus a short-acting barbiturate. If you are want what, to hear more of it, are, watch the Adam and Drew show. These are what make people... I mean, this is what I get emails about all day long. Okay? So there we go. Or listen, where you find your podcasts. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Uh, let me look a little at little PR you, there. I want to look what you guys While are saying. While you're ranting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, the other thing that, uh, speaking of ranting... Uh, hold on, we'll just look at your... Hopefully gonna, it won't be at me. I'm looking at the chat room. I can't take it today. Oh, you see, are you you have had it up to here today? It's been a long week. Okay, hold on. Fort Dietrich lab leak there. Oh, boy. You know, I, I am getting... <laughs> well, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm, I'm getting exhausted. I'm that. getting just exhausted by people spinning on both sides of the vaccine argument it, it it needs to sort out we're working our way through it we're gonna figure it out but we have been you know to sort of get to immerse yourself in one point of view is an error uh i think you got to just stand back and kind of let the data kind of emerge as we figure out what's going on here something is there's a signal 
something's going on, but exactly how common and what it is and how serious and at what risk and at what benefit, we, we really need to get uh, clearer, clearer on this whole uh, landscape. Now, having said that, uh, I want to address what uh, Caleb pointed out, uh, or at least named today's stream as me addressing whether or not I'm anti-vaxxer. Uh, I have, as I have said uh, many times in my life, there were not enough vaccines for my family and my kids. Uh, the, any vaccine that came along, I was ready to give it to them, no matter what it was. Uh, and they derived benefits. Uh, the HPV vaccine was one of the greatest advances of my career. That was phenomenal that we could eliminate cancer, or nearly eliminate cancer that was killing people. I mean, routinely killing people and we could eliminate it. And now we know the same thing is escalating in men in terms of the head and neck cancer and anal cancer, and we can eliminate that too with the vaccine. So the HPV vaccine, yeah, every every medical intervention, every treatment, every everything we do as physicians can have adverse effect. The question is, at what risk? And the reality is the HPV vaccine has one of the safest risk profile of any vaccine in history. It really is a very, very safe vaccine. And no, it didn't make people go have sex. It didn't cause... <laughs> irrational behavior could because you gave an 11 year old a vaccine that would prevent cervical cancer when she was 35. No, the, the 11 year olds don't even know quite what they're getting. They don't, it doesn't somehow free them to go be profligate. It just isn't like that. So when we now had that vaccine for now, what close to 30 years, I guess it's been. And, um, I, I am not anti-vax. I'm very excited about vaccines. I have been concerned about this vaccine, the, the mRNA vaccine, at the beginning, I was uh, very excited about it. I went out and got it myself and, and couldn't get it. And I got COVID, so I didn't take it. And very quickly, we started hearing about some nasty reactions and people having concerns about it. So I sat and I watched. Still clearly beneficial for people in the older age group. And, and it also was looking early on like it was a benefit, not just the individuals, but in terms of reducing the spread of this thing, reducing the amount of replication, maybe reducing the risk for more serious rem uh variants uh, emerging. So so I was uh, very enthusiastic about it at first. And then we started seeing data that suggested, mm, maybe, you know, be concerned. The, the J&J &J vaccine was pulled from the market after people had very serious reactions. I had one of those reactions. Thankfully, it had no real consequences. And now we're at a time when we're looking at rolling out a vaccine. Now, the CDC said something extraordinary today. You know, this bivalent vaccine covers original variants, covers BA4, BA5. And I don't really understand why the original variant is in the mix in this thing, because it's so, you know, pretty much everything is Omicron now. So I'm not quite sure what they're doing with that, except to try to fight off something should a variant emerge. I, I guess that's what they're thinking. It has only been studied on mice, but that's how we create the flu vaccine every year. It's, it's the same platform, mice, change the structure, give it to humans. Now, I'd like to see some work on humans. I want to see how it rolls out on humans, how it affects humans. Uh, I'm sort of reserving judgment on it. I'm recommending all my patients over 70 get it. Uh, I am asking them to wait a month or so to see how, how it affects people to make sure it's as safe as I suspect it is. I don't know. We don't know. We don't have the data. We gotta, we've got to do these things clinically in real time. So uh, where was I going with this? So, um, so again, so I was very enthusiastic about it. Then we started hearing some issues, and I saw a lot of nasty reactions myself that uh, made me concerned. Um, and, of course, we saw a lot of horrible COVID, too. And the question be, remains to this moment what is the risk of COVID, being hospitalized of COVID, dying of COVID, versus having some sort of disabling reaction to a vaccine? 
I don't, I don't quite see, know that yet. And there are people in the sort of Steve Kirsch world and Alex Berenson who believe that number may be will fight unacceptable. Well, they, the they believe the number might be unacceptably high. Maybe and, Kelly Victory too. And, right, Kelly, well, of course, as well. And we don't know. I'm going to need a water or something. I'm reacting to something in this room. Yeah. Um, we, I don't know what that number would be. What is an unacceptably high number for a worldwide pandemic that we're just getting under control that is killing a lot of people? What, what would that number be? Would it, would it be one per thousand? Would it be one for 500? Would it be one for, I, and you know, how do we define exactly what we mean by disabling? In other words, we've seen, you know, certainly an incidence of myocarditis now in males under four, under 30. And I believe that is real data. Is it under 40 or under 30? I've already forgotten that, but it's younger males. And as such, people who are who are vaccine uberalis, as I always say, vaccine, uh, you know, accepting no other alternative than vaccine therapy, would say, well, the incidence is still very low, and they all get better so far, we think. Uh, but I, I, my pushback on that would be, Prior to this, above all else, Uberalis, and in the in in my history, when somebody developed myocarditis, that was a dire emergency. That was a I mean, that was a ten alarm fire. That was a serious thing. People could die immediately from arrhythmia. We didn't know where it was going to go. Was going to end up in a cardiop cardiomyopathy where they're going to need a heart transplant, and that has happened both from COVID and from the vaccine, and so. You know, how do we how do we make this determination unless we get that data? And if you notice, every single person that I've spoken to uh, with Kelly Victory, all three of us every time said the same thing. We just we just need more data. I those the, the usually Kelly and the other guests are much much more worried about the vaccines than I am, but we all agree we need we need the data. There's a nice conversation going on on Rumble between Jahap and Dick and 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 they well, can and, I um, go ahead. Oh, can I follow up on that some, Drew, to get just get some Please. more like specific answers from stuff that I see all the time? Because a lot of people, okay. their first reaction is they want to paint you as a 100% anti-vaxxer and you're on the anti-vaxxer team right. just because you're asking questions right. about some things that they just really started using a few years ago. Right. And so this, some this of these- is the same thing, This is the same thing as people, if you questioned anything about, uh, about COVID policy, you were a Trumper. This is right. that same black, white, bizarre, effed up thinking that people have. So if you are, other than a vaccine uberalis, vaccine above all else, you don't have to put that up there again, <laughs> vaccine uberalis, <laughs> you are therefore anti-vax. It is possible to have an inter a nuanced approach to vaccine therapy where you're making individual decisions for each patient. That is it reminds possible. Me, and the CDC, go ahead, reminds no, you. It, it reminds me of the time whenever you were hesitant about the opioids before it was called the opioid epidemic where it was everyone mm -hmm. just wanted to paint you as you were just simply, you you didn't care about pain patients, you didn't care about people right. who were hurting. Right. When you could see all the signs of this thing that was coming up, it was growing and growing. Right. And But you right. were relentlessly that attacked mass, for that. That is mass formation psychosis. That is mass formation psychosis. I don't know what you want to call it. I don't know what else it is. One way to construct it is that that is hysteria. And that is, it is dishonest and it's intellectually immature, dishonest and, and simplistic. That's not how things work. So, so there's my, that. The C, here's the, my concern right. about today. The CDC came out today. Walensky today said, 
well, vaccines for everybody over 12. And somebody asked her, well, Paul Offit, who's, we've been, did we interview Paul Offit here? Was that the one we interviewed? I don't think yet, um, but no. Paul, possibly soon. Paul Offit is a very pro-vaccine guy, has come out now and said, you know, I'm not sure young males need to get this vaccine because he's obviously worried about that circulation article that showed male vac- males are prone, you know, at, at 10 times the rate, 3,300, 3, 3,000 times uh, than, than average. Um of getting this myocarditis. And he said, I'm not sure they benefit much because they have this reaction and they don't get sick from COVID. And right. and the interviewer asked Walensky, why don't you, what do you say to Dr. Offit when he puts that out? And she goes, well, we just like to have a more simplistic approach to our messaging. So we just say everybody over 12 needs to get the vaccine. That is disgusting. Uh, <sighs> that is disgusting because you can't trust the American people to understand a set of instructions that mitigate their risk that if you're 12 to 40, maybe you want to talk to your doctor about it. Above 40, get get it. Or mm. 40 to 65, we strongly recommend it. Talk to your doctor over 65, do get it. And she was, and and by the way, her rhetoric on the 65 and above was spot on. She was very good in how she expressed the the um, the benefits and the 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 sort of the importance of vaccine therapies in those age groups and and the data we have showing its safety. But the fact that you say 12 and above just because you can't trust people to understand what you're telling them, talk about the opposite of healthcare. The opposite. You know, it, it, so. it, strikes me, it strikes me almost as like a, a form of like education snobbery where it's they think we are the mm. experts, we know all, even they, but you're an yeah. expert as well. So they don't care what you're saying. They yeah. don't care what Dr. McCullough is saying. They don't care what Dr. Kelly Victory is saying. They're just lumping everyone into this group and they're saying, we know best. You can't find this information. You would never understand no. it. We don't even need to explain it to you. We just want every single person in the entire world to take this exact same well, vaccine and become, no one is an individual. Right. They become a, they become defensive and authoritarian and anybody who just questions what's going on just brings up right. issues around it. I wonder what they're going to do to off it. I really wonder. It's so my plan to my, get rid of men. <laughs> my, my original quick question whenever I first came on screen was if you had ever seen any evidence of anything called vaccine shedding, which is something I hear about a lot where it's, it's oh. relatives of mine are concerned because like, let's say I received a vaccine. They are now concerned that they yeah. can't even come around me because they've read all these things no. about shedding vaccines from one person to the no, other. That's, that is, there, there are live vaccines. There are live vaccines or live in live attenuated vaccines that, can be somewhat risky for people who have severely depressed immune systems. Like you wouldn't want them to walk into a bone marrow unit, that kind of thing. Right. That's somebody who can get in trouble with that. But this, these, the w- kinds of vaccines that we're using against Omicron is just protein. There's no virus. Vaccines There's in no general. virus like, created. Even, even before that, because the lipid protein that what I had read about that is that it, it would pretty much defeat the purpose of all the work they did to put the protein together. If it, it, it's not meant to survive that long at all, especially not to cross from body right. to body. But I think what they're referring to right. are things like all vaccines, even before mRNA. Have you ever seen any evidence of, no. of something cross? Like I, I said, there so. are live, live and live attenuated vaccines that do that. There is such right. a thing. I, let's look them up. Let's, uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, I feel like it it could be a bunch of people are misreading something like they may see what you're like this little small example that you're looking up right now and then assume that that applies to every vaccine that anyone who gets one can then pass it because then in in their minds, everyone is a danger. They're so, 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 so different. Okay. Let's set this vaccines after, uh, shoot. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Vaccine should take some questions. All right, I will. Hang you on. You told everybody guys. you would. Come on, I will. Uh, or visit. There, by the way, weren't... Uh... Turn the music on, Caleb. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, I can't find it. I can't find the specific... I, it, it, it's, it's the live attenuated virus, that kind of thing. Uh, let me quickly... Oh, my God. Measles, smallpox, chickenpox, yellow fever are live attenuated. So I would; those are the ones that uh, have those kinds of issues associated with them. Uh, so there's, it's not zero; it's a few, uh, and it's you know something that rarely happens, but there is such a thing. And uh, so, all right, we'll go to the calls. That's what people want to do. That's what we shall do. Uh, and also, we want to mention that. Drew is a part of a new Fox television show mm-hmm. coming up in January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, presently called Special Forces. It's going to happen in January. It was an extraordinary experience. We, you have booked uh, one of my staff. Oh, there I am with some of the some of the guys that I was out there with Scaramucci, Danny Amendola from the. Do you pa- have the photo Patriots. of him flying out of the helicopter? And uh, Caleb from and, Twitter. Uh, Jamie Lynn Spears was there. Oh my goodness, it was such a. Uh, no, I don't think they have the helicopter. There is the entire group there. So Mel B. Oh. Before they got all dressed up. There, well, there we are dressed up in our fatigues that we literally lived in for quite a while. There's Kate Gosling in the lower right, Dwight Howard. So it was an interesting group. Uh, but we Mike will be, Piazza. That's Piazza on the left. Danny Amadola. We will be interviewing one of the staff members on this show uh, soon. Do you know that? Yes, I do. On the 29th of September. That will be very interesting. That guy was uh, impactful, <laughs> I'll just say. Uh, Go to Drew's Twitter. You can see a picture of what they made them do. It's pretty impressive. Oh, I like it. You have a picture the of picture it? The picture of the helicopter Oh, you have the helicopter shot. jump. Us uh, flying backwards out of a helicopter <laughs> over the Red Sea. Okay, let's get into some Q, uh, Q&A here. We're going to uh, get into it. Um, let me see here. You guys are Now everybody around. knows why you were gone. Yes. Uh, Philip, what's going on? Trying to get everybody hooked up. A little music, please. I did not get. They were supposed to send me my uniform, but they didn't. I did not. They were supposed to send me my my boots your too. Your boots they, they and did, your uniform. They didn't send me any of that. Aww. It was a damn mess. They probably burned it afterwards. <laughs> uh, Philip, what do you got there? You're still uh, you're still muted. You got to hit the mic from the lower left hand corner. You hear me? There you are. What's going on? Can you hear me? Yep. Hey. I, so I have a one-year-old daughter mm. and she got her first vaccine mm-hmm. and my wife is a nurse and we weren't actually uh, too optimistic about actually being able to have a child. So now she's ultra protective. Mm. And I'm just wondering, it, our daughter already got COVID mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and I know she's going to be gung-ho about getting further vaccines for her. And I'm not in any way, shape or form anti-vaccine, but I just, I don't, I don't even know what to think now. Well, I, I don't believe the COVID vaccine is being recommended for that age group. So I would not even contemplate it, but get the routine vaccines. They, they, they are, they have decades of uh, track record behind them. And the risk reward is very well known. This is, this is what, you know, I'm looking for with COVID is clarity about the risk reward. We know it with these vaccines. No, no medical intervention is completely safe. But without the medical interventions, what you're leaving yourself exposed to is much more serious illness. Much you see, 
people get into these, what's happening now is people get into these silos where they've, they've only seen people with vaccine injuries and haven't seen people die of COVID, or they've only heard about measles-related vaccine injuries and haven't seen kids with measles encephalitis. Measles is a bad, it's a nasty, nasty illness. These things can kill people, and they, the ones that kill children are common. Look, this is this is just we you know we're worried about you know, notice how monkeypox isn't being talked about anymore. Shocking, and and also what they're doing is attending to the risk population who was at risk of monkeypox very clearly and helping them not get monkeypox and get the vaccines to protect them from it. But this textbook, this is just infectious disease of children, just children. That's mostly what they're what you know pediatricians are doing a lot of infectious disease, a lot of it, and to worry about. <laughs> to, to, they, there are so many things that can be very serious for kids that we can take care of and that we can vaccinate against. Please do that. And again, as I always remind people, as they worry about monkeypox, why don't we worry about everything in this infectious disease textbook? This is this is the only single volume infectious disease uh, textbook I could get my hands on easily. And we can just worry, and you see the print is you know pretty small. So let's worry about every page of this book and let's make sure the press thinks about it. For instance, Somebody's uh, 750,000 people died of AIDS last year. You worrying about that? You thinking about that? You caring about that? That that they're dying every few minutes of AIDS. Where's the press with that one? We're worrying about monkeypox, who's essentially a flu with a nasty virus with a nasty rash. AIDS is killing people every few minutes. Want to want to give an update on that press? You're so worried about people's health. They just again, the context, the inability to contextualize what they're reporting is is what makes me wildly frustrated. All right, anyway, let's keep going here. Um, okay, we have lots of people who want questions. Somebody said here. they lost their cousin five years old to the vaccine. To the which vaccine? The vaccine, the COVID. Or the COVID vaccine. vaccine. Well, there there are MMR. There are the there are two things. Um, People die of lots of things all the time. That's the way the world is. And now we're reporting all of it. And it starts to look like it's related to the vaccine, and it may be related to the vaccine. Well, remember when you said when they were going to start vaccinating rare, rare. kids, kids were going to start dying, and then all shit was going to hit the fan? You I said did that say at that. the beginning. I did say that. I said I said that once, once they start looking at the adverse effects of the vaccine on kids, it's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be a problem. I don't because, even want it, my kids to why, take it. I don't either. They're why 30. would they? They don't need it. They're, they, they have to to travel. They, they've had COVID and they're know, fine I with it. It's no big deal. Them. I don't want them to get it, but they're insist the doctors insist. Well, the, the, Paul Offit today just said that young people, young males particularly, shouldn't be getting it. <sighs> the, the, you know, this is the biggest of uh, the big um, vaccine advocates. So let's see. All right. This is uh, Obi Benobi. Come on up, Obi. And we do see your questions on restream. If we don't catch it as it goes by, just re reiterate. I, I'm not. Have. I don't. I'm not seeing them. I'll I'll look for them. Susan wants to know what I think of the sudden adult death syndrome. Uh, it's a common thing. I've seen lots of it over the years. Uh, is it at an increased rate now? May, we don't know. We need the data. I'd like the data, please. There are some signals that suggest it might be. Is it related to the vaccine? No idea. No idea. I'm worried. I'm worried about it. I'm worried. Unmute yourself on uh, Twitter Spaces. Obi Wan. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was uh, wondering. Um, the majority of this information that comes out online, do you think that it's like biased information or biased data that we're receiving? 
What, what, what data do you mean? At some, when we're looking at some information, we're like bombarded by a bunch of these fact checker sites, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really hesitant on like trusting any of that type of information because it's only, it's all like one-sided. And uh, I agree. I, I, I agree. I'd be very, very, very careful. And, and you have to sort of, the consensus will emerge. That That's what happens is with time, you start to learn more and more. It becomes increasingly clear and you start to see these factions sort of folding down, either going away or folding into other positions. And that's going to happen. We're going to figure this out. I, 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 you know, the, the CDC just today showed their cards a little bit by saying, just vaccinated anybody over 12, because that's the easiest way for us to message it. That is a horrible, horrible policy. That would be, I, I can't even think of anything in medicine where you would do something like that. It's, it's where you just say, just take this treatment because, well, I, I can't help you spend any time helping you understand whether you should or shouldn't take it. So just take it. And if something bad happens to you, well, you know, we're going to help a lot of people. That That is a disgusting way to approach things. And that's what they have um, done today. Now, I am seeing where, uh, the UK, I guess. Uh, so it, so it, a great example of this, Obi-Wan, is uh, Dr. Kelly Victory was re- quoting some data from the UK yesterday. And I think we even posted, Caleb, didn't we? Did we posted. Uh, yes, that, it's up uh, on the website. Pregnancy data. All right, so she put a, an article from directly from the United Kingdom website. I saw it with my own eyes from August 22nd that is talking about the vaccine, the particularly the BioNTech vaccine. And it and it specifically in their materials says pregnant women should not get the vaccine, breastfeeding women should not get the vaccine. On the same website on a under a different category as of September 1st, so two weeks later, different category, so-called yellow card reporting, which is kind of like our VAERS system. It says uh, pregnant women are at higher risk and should be encouraged to get the vaccine. That's the same country's healthcare system. You, that, that isn't even data. That's just putting out policy. When you start getting into data, it gets even more confusing. So uh, I understand, Obi-Wan. I think you, you wait, wait it out. Uh, we got to see where this goes. It, it's in, in the meantime. It, it's look. How do we know so clearly that it is beneficial for the seventy-five and above? Why are we so clear about that? Because they are at the highest risk of real illness and hospitalization. We have dramatically changed that with the vaccine, and there are no significant adverse events in that population. They're only typically going to live another 10 years or so, so we don't worry about things like longer-term down-the-line stuff. It's, it's not a clinical concern. And there may something may pop up. There may be something yet, but it's not clinically relevant. It may be, I, but I, we don't think so. In the meantime, <coughs> tremendous benefit. So it's clear, super clear. You're 75 and above, get it. You're 65 and above, probably get it. I, I'm not sure. 70 above, get it, for sure. Uh, 65, probably. Uh, but under 50, it gets, it starts to get very muddled. It starts to get very confusing. Uh, I was just talking to somebody, Susan, who was in France, uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, and they've thrown things completely open. So, uh, hats off to the youth of France, of France who pushed this issue dramatically and they're able to vaccinate or not vaccinate as they wish. Not in Spain. There's lots of testing being done and 
everything's fine in France. There's no massive outbreaks. There's no increase in, you know, lack of ICU beds. It's just, we're in a different stage of this thing and it is time to act accordingly. It just is. And the more we hesitate that, the more people are going to be damaged by being dismissed from schools or not, you know, being found to not being able to return to schools or, uh, you know, so-called education from home, which isn't working. And we're going to have people economically. All we have done, look, is uh, this is in terms of uh, my anti-vax position, which I'm not. The one thing uh, I will say that I'm clear about is we did a horrible job of protecting the population that was genuinely at risk for this thing. People with chronic illnesses, obesity, and and elderly. They got it anyway. All these things we did did not prevent anything. The virus just did what it did. They got it anyway. And we shifted the burden of everything we did to in our attempt to protect the people that we did not protect. And the burden now is on poor people. We've done them out of, out of education. We've economically distressed them. Well done, everybody. Really well done. Uh, this is not how, how things should be done. I mean, when the we need to really look dispassionately at the mistakes we have made. That's the other thing that we Higher all... Higher suicide risk. The mental health consequences have been profound, and that's for everybody. So there we are. Okay, let me keep taking some calls here. Calls here. It fucked everything up. This is Swisher. Give him or her a chance here. There you are. What's going on? I was actually trying to formulate my question. First, I want to tell you, you have been in a wonderful influence to our country and I'm sure many other countries. I'm 45 years old, so I've watched you talk about food and nutrition. I just thank you for everything you've done. And it saddens me that anyone would doubt the length of time that you've been talking to us and been right is enough for me to continue to listen. I'll That's say that much. Very kind. Thank you very much. So my question about the biotech, um, yeah. you know, and the, the nanotechnology that is in there, mm. you know, my question to you is, do you, I, I, I'm kind of following Charles Lieber and I, he's worked for Harvard for the length of time that he did. And then kind of, uh, there's two sides of the coin with nanotech. It could be amazing and it also can be of harm. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, do you feel right now in the environment that we're in, and, and we talked about trust on the internet, you know, can yeah. we find the best facts for our kids, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that they said 12 and over for CDC now angers me so deeply because my nephews were vaccinated. Yeah. So, you know, too bad, but better late than never. Yeah. Um, my question to you is, do you feel that the, the climate that we're in, that we have enough regulation on um, mRNA type technology that we're not really, the public doesn't know yet what this is and to pass well, the vaccine. Okay. So, so the way I would think about this, because you're asking a, almost an unanswerable question, right? So, this was utilized uh, as something that people thought would work, that they thought was safe, that had been in development for a long time, primarily going to be used initially in in, in a very specialized populations, even just cancer patients, right? Now, all of a sudden, we're taking that same technology and giving it literally to everybody. That's a very different question about safety, Right. Are, are we taking the entire population, nearly of the earth, really, or just you know millions and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people, and exposing them to this new technology that we think seems to work? I, I feel more comfortable with it than Dr. Kelly does, right, Dr. Kelly Victory, because you know these, these 
these particles, these lipid bilayer shells that that are being manufactured here are, are kind of ubiquitous in nature. They're, they're normal. And so how problematic could it be to have a lipid shell sort of fused with our cell linings? I, I don't see where it would be immunologically active. I don't think where it would be structurally problematic. I could, I could be wrong. Maybe I just can't think of it. But they, they, And what's happening now, and this is the thing that kind of bugs me, is everybody is becoming a junior scientist and we're culling through all this bench work material. And I, I cannot tell you how far the, the bench, the scientific bench science can be from clinical reality. There are things that, for instance, uh, let, me, let me take a, a popular uh, straw dog, or, which is uh, ivermectin in, the, in a dish has antiviral properties that look very powerful, actually. And, and same thing with hydroxychloroquine. There was a great article written about multiple different antiviral pathways and what had been shown in the dish, in the, in the laboratory. I can just tell you, uh, having been around a lot of patients that have taken both those medications, didn't, didn't seem to do too much. Well, it didn't hurt anything, and that's why I didn't object to it. But it, it didn't, not, not the way a real clinically proven antiviral like uh, Paxlovid. Paxlovid, man, it works right away. I mean, it's striking clinically what this does. So the distance between, you know, all these little tiny observations on in a laboratory setting versus what happens in human physiology on the macroscopic level can often be uh, infinite, in, in, literally infinite. So I don't, the, the, to answer your question or to continue to tiptoe around your question, I, I don't know what to do with it yet, except that I would think from that itself, we would see some sort of signal. Now we don't, maybe the myocarditis is caused by the lipid bilayer, you know, by the nanoparticle shell. I don't think so. I think it's, my, my gut is it's a spike protein because you're seeing myocarditis in COVID patients as well. There's, I think the more interesting question should be asking, you know, what is it about this crazy protein and could somebody have designed it in such a way to do these things, God forbid, but maybe, uh, and, and sort of focus our attention on that. Uh, I, I will tell you that I myself, um, you know, I worry about new technologies and new medicines all the time, but we've been using it quite a lot now. And I can tell you, if you're over 75, you it's safe for you. If you're particularly the the worries about the technology. If you are 30, I hope it's okay. Seems to be okay. It's, that's kind of a long answer to your question, but but it, it's a, you're asking something very complicated. Thank you very much. I appreciate okay. your time. You Definitely, bet, of I'll course. Keep following. Okay. You got to keep Don't get don't get lost in the science that's out there. I'm no, I was noticing this today and yesterday that people are tweeting around and getting lost in these observational the bench work, the, the, the bench work has to translate, so to speak, to the clinical. It has to get to the large-scale physiology before it's really meaningful. Where's Chris? What's going on there? Oops, sorry about that. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> I, pushed, I pushed the wrong button. Hello. Hey there. Hey now. What's up? Yeah. I have a non-vaccine related question if okay. that's all right with you yeah all right so i have three kids they all started school hallelujah mm -hmm. it's great mm -hmm. mom loves it too um but i 
I have a daughter with special needs. We've talked about her before. She's mm-hmm. doing fantastic. Smart, sweet little cool. girl. But I, you know, last year when we were trying to navigate through some of the things she was encountering, one of the possible options, and I spoke to her pediatrician about it, and I trust her, obviously, with the care of all my kids, so I think she's great. And they were talking about putting her on attention deficit disorder medications. Mm -hmm. Totally fine. It helps a lot of people, Mm -hmm. I understand. And over the summer, no intervention medication-wise because I just wasn't seeing a huge change Mm -hmm. in regard her behavior and in regards to just her overall you know sense of feeling like she's doing a good job and she's fitting in did you say that was on medication she was for a little bit okay and then we stopped over the summer okay because she was growing so much we just kind of just wanted her to just live her life and us be there and see how she would develop she grew almost eight inches it was nuts so but yeah, I know. It's, it's nuts. I'm so short. I don't know where this comes from. But in any case, um, <laughs> you know, going back into school, first time around other kids, you know, she's still getting used to it. But automatically, some of her um, teachers who have worked with her in the past are like, well, is she still taking medication? And I, I'm having a real hard time with that because developmentally, as far as her physical state and her mental state, She's growing so much, so fast. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like I'm doing her disservice at this point by interrupting it. How, would you, con- how would you be interrupting it? Because I think as she matures and she grows, obviously her brain and her social skills and physically, she's just changing a lot. So, and I was just worried that... So I will, I you know, I was very concerned about all the amphetamine, you know, stimulant prescribing particularly when I started dealing with all the amphetamine addicts, I thought we were creating that. So I looked at the literature very carefully on ADD and stimulants. And it is very clear that used properly, and again, properly is a relative term, but used is a a sort of a dicey term, really. Used properly, the child develops at a better rate with greater self-esteem, with higher competency and higher self-efficacy. Uh, and higher academic performance, everything is better, and the risk of addiction and whatnot actually goes way down uh, with these things. So, uh, you know, the way it's thought of, and and I'm not here to advocate for the psychostimulants. I'm I'm just advocating for some sort of intervention because the way the sort of clinical syndrome goes is the ADHD itself impairs the development. That's what gets in the way of the development. never thought about it that way. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be medication, and my preference is non-medication approaches for sure. Um, but it, you have to really be watching that the ADHD is creating the difficulties in terms of, again, self-efficacy being the number one. You ever heard of the term self-efficacy? Yes, I have. Yeah, it self-efficacy really being crazy. what gets impaired. And with, with diminished self-efficacy comes this sense of being broken or something's wrong with me, and et cetera, et cetera. And they, they sort of go down that path. Um, my poor little girl has definitely mm-hmm. said that a few times mm-hmm. and uh, heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a kid. kid I, I I would, love, is there, you know? is there someone that has any, you know, sort of interpersonal therapeutics for this in your community? I, we've talked about this before. It seems to me. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know what? It's kind of a winding road. She gets older. Um, she starts exhibiting unbelievable skills academically and just, she's a smart kid. We had her, Tested like IQ wise, and she's like scary smart, which Good. is like another concern. But 
good for her. I, I just want to make sure that, you know, if I'm going to medicate her, it's hard to know with things like ADD I, I would, and ADHD. I, I, I hear you. I would, I would explore in great detail what other options there are behaviorally. It really sounds like she needs that empathic, therapeutic presence because if she says things like i'm broken already you want to you want to work her through that and medication's not really going to do that and uh i i am not and by the way i'm i i get very concerned about using psychostimulants after the age of 18 it's very concerning i've seen some sort of nasty things happen as a result of that it's not the the benefits are not as clear after age 18. let's take a little break thank you chris we got to take a break be right back after this I think we have found the holy grail of skincare. Genucel has absolutely changed, certainly my skincare regimen. I like that vitamin C serum, the under eye creams, skin nourishing primer. Susan loves the eyelash enhancers, uses it on her eyebrows as well. Genucel has everything to make us both feel and look amazing. Best part, the quality of the products. Using pure ingredients like antioxidants, copper peptides, and a proprietary calendula flower base, Genucel knows how to formulate products to perfection without irritation. For Susan, she hates that annoying dry area under nose during allergy season, like right here. She's tried everything, but no matter what, the skin is flaky and dry. Nothing seemed to help until she started using Genucel's Silky Smooth XV Moisturizer. It soaked right into the skin. She was hooked after one use and now loves all of their products as well. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because... It's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Right now, you can try Genucel's most popular collection of products and see what I'm talking about for yourself. Go to genucel.com and enter code DREW for 10% off. That is G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com and the code is D-R-E-W. The Parallel Economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh, boy. <laughs> he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. And Susan, do you have some special packages out there? They're coming, and I got the XV cream working from my flaky nose. Right, fair enough. It's working. Um, 
So I hate that. Don't you like hate it when you get that flaky red thing around your nose? Well, and I wear like, the anti-red stuff that oh these God. guys have. Um, Seems to have worked. I haven't had it in a long time. Did Dr. Malone, I'm forgetting in this interview, did he take on the vaccine in elderly population? Or was he, did he sort of demur there a little bit? You guys remember? I'm not yeah, certain. I can't remember. Was he anti-anti-LOA across? Because somebody on the restream was saying Dr. Dr. Malone was anti all the way across the board. I, you know, the, could be there. There seems to be great confusion that people have um, between people who have a scientific background and have a like. Okay, remember when that person was yelling at me about uh, watching or listening to this week in virology? I which I did. I, I started listening to it. I used to listen to it all the time. And yes, it's an excellent lecture about science, not about medicine. Not about clinical reality. They are a million miles away from it. They don't know really anything about it. They know generally what they're talking about. They, there's a reason that when, after we do a couple years in the classroom 24-7, we then spend the next eight years out on the wards dealing with these illnesses in real people. It's not, it's not the way you think. It's not like everything is exactly the same. Everything is quite different person to person. And you're trying to deal with these, these differing genetics and differing physiologies and complex biologies that are underway. In the, in, the, in, the, in the laboratory, it can look one way and out on the clinical words can look entirely different. Not only that, but I made the point the other day that typically we see things out clinically before the, the literature, before the research catches up. Like, for instance, I just said a few minutes ago about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. I, whether you take it early or at high dose or whatever it is, I just I haven't seen much. I haven't seen much. People people get better that were going to get better, and people that are really sick get really sick and keep getting sick. While there are other treatments I've used, monoclonal antibodies, Paxlovid, people are getting really sick, and it stops. It just stops. That is different than watching people who would have gotten well kind of get well anyway, and people who are kind of getting into trouble get really into trouble as opposed to something that stops a slide in its tracks. The monoclonal antibodies are actually the most striking thing of all. So don't forget, these things are still available. We have molnupiravir, we have Paxlovid, we have monoclonal antibodies. There's lots of great treatments out there. So people don't have to be so fearful of uh, not getting the vaccine, particularly in their sort of and the fact that Omicron is so much less virulent, so much more difficult, less difficult than than some of these other uh, variants that we've had all the way. There's Amy Kay. I'm going to bring her up here. We have lots of questions still. I'm going to get to you guys. I, I'll do my best. My goodness, there are lots of questions. Amy Kay. Says, um, unmute that mic in the lower left-hand corner. There you are. Sorry about that. How okay. are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, Great longtime fan, first time caller. Yeah. <laughs> uh, random question done talking about the whole COVID thing. Um, yeah, over it. Um, hormone replacement therapy and the yeah. new trend that's going on with pellets containing testosterone for women. Thoughts and feedback because I'm let's, looking let's, into it. Let's talk to a patient. Patient, what oh. do you feel about this? <laughs> patient, Susan. Wait, I'm sorry. God, where were I you? I was reading something. Sorry. Okay, this uh, Amy called in and said, "I'm contemplating this this big trend of bioidentical oh, hormones oh, oh, and sorry. the perimodal." I didn't know you were talking. To and me. Uh, I said, "Let's talk to a patient." I am a patient. 
tough. I'm very impatient patient. Should she get it? Should she not get it? What are the risks? Well, if you're having hot flashes and you feel like you're crazy and you feel like you want to take a nap like every five minutes and you (laughs) are gaining belly fat and you feel like you're getting old, it's a good idea. Because well, the good thing is. Okay, go the good thing is I've been able to combat most of that. I actually went through that like about three years ago where I thought I was losing my mind. And then when we finally pulled my, my hormones, my actual um, doctors, she started laughing and she goes, oh, they are so done. It's like not even funny. Yeah. Like you've crossed the, <laughs> the bridge. Yeah. Uh, but now and I'm kind of like a, I work out quite a bit by I'm realizing it's harder for me to maintain muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Um, sleep's not great, mm-hmm. and definitely there's like zero sex drive. Like mm-hmm. you could put the rock in front oh, of yeah, me, oh yeah, that too. Like make if, me dinner, and I'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, you don't want sex, and you also no. you build muscle. You want sex all the time, and you feel better about yourself. You're if you have male pattern balding in your family, you might get kind of thin hair, but it's you know it outweighs the, 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 the only good real, benefits of it. The only but, real side effects look the we and obviously if you, if you have cancer too. Yeah, obviously family, if there's breast cancer in a first degree relative, it's a whole different conversation. Although there are clinicians out there that believe testosterone with estrogen actually lowers the risk of breast cancer. Now I'm not that person, but there are people that advocate that. Now, if you have low risk of cancer and, you know, we, we the, the Women Health Initiative was a disaster. We should be replacing women's hormones much more than we do. And we should certainly be adding testosterone much more than we do. And women are, are not attended to properly. Nope. They're told they're depressed. They're told they're uh, stressed when, in fact, their yep. hormones are just completely destroyed. And then their husbands leave them and they become lesbians. <laughs> is that, is that, oh, is well, that the path? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Well, and my husband is like smoking hot and seven years younger than me. So I like need to get it together. Yeah. You <laughs> so. got to take care of your man. <laughs> well, it, you, but the, but more importantly though, you're going to feel so much better. I mean, Susan, you're all right. Susan right now is dealing with a thing where her pellets didn't had a dysfunction this time. And I so don't know she, why they got infected. she's actually in a down phase of this whole thing and oh. she, and it's affecting your thinking. I can tell you. Well, actually my testosterone was a little high last time. So then I don't know, for some reason in the summer when I'm wearing a bathing suit and I'm outside, I get the pellet pops out or gets infected or something. So um, and it's always in August and I don't know why, but um, I'm dealing with a, a little infection and then a couple of pellets like popped out. I guess I'm not going to really? do it. Yeah, because you I've been doing this for 12 years. So like oh. the skin kind of gets worn out. You have to, you know, so we're going to find a new place she, to put she, it next time she, whatever state you're in is sort of the state you're but in, anyways but... I, it was high anyways my testosterone was high but i was feeling great i'm gonna tell you i felt really good but they said oh you're it's a little high so like now i'm i the pellets aren't taking effect because i have to wait five weeks to get a, a blood test so i'm mm-hmm. starting to feel a little tired a little and i'm achy oh my god are you complaining you've been, <laughs> well, you've been complaining like crazy i know it's just not my normal self but right. um i also was really i worked pretty hard this week so because it was your birthday but um Honestly, I'm I'm okay with that. Like it's kind of like going through menopause again. You know, you just have that lull. But oh. I know they're gonna fix it, and I'll be fine in a couple of weeks. But um, they give you also creams to put on in the interim while if you if you have hot flashes at night or you have aching or whatever. But um, okay. honestly, it's 
So rewarding to feel energy. Well, happy. I remember you saying you felt like a part of yourself had died or something that you. Yeah, regained. and I had menopause when I was forty-five, so that was not fair. And oh um, yeah. So I'm, and honestly, like if Drew wasn't such a hypersexual person, I wouldn't have worried about it so much. <laughs> I want to blame it on him. Wow. He's a very passionate, <laughs> passionate man. Fair enough. Well, that's a great thing. Um, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know. <laughs> Um, one last question. The procedure itself, I made the mistake of Googling what that actually is. And I don't do well with like medical stuff. And it kind of freaked me out. It, did it, are you like completely numbed up and you don't really feel anything yes. during that? You get a little okay. prick like, it, you know, it's kind of like when you get your teeth done. It doesn't hurt as much as your teeth, but it stings for a second. And then they, they numb it up and then they make a really teeny tiny little incision. And they, they push the pellets. They're little skinny they're like the head of a pin, you know, like they just go inside oh, okay. and then it goes under the skin and then they put a little steri strip on it and a piece of, black, you know, a, this sort of bandage over it. And for a couple of days, you have to wear that and you peel it off and it's healed and it's it's under your skin for like four months. You don't have to think about it. You do have to take progesterone uh, and like maybe a, a, a spirolactone, which helps you not grow hair. But um, it's not, you know, you do that every day, but it doesn't, but if you've already been through, if your period's over, then you don't really, you have to do that. You won't bleed. You know, I was bleeding for a while until I was into my mid fifties when I would take the progesterone. So, but you know what, it's, it's just, I don't know. I don't want to go through menopause again and I don't want to be tired all the time and I don't want to be cranky and. I want to have sex with my husband, you know, it's just, I want to, you know, I didn't want to before and it wasn't because of him. It was just that I didn't have any hormones at all. So, you know, that, Oh yeah. It's completely like gone. There's just nothing. (laughs) It's like dead. (laughs) Yeah. And that's unfortunate. People feel so much better. Hey, At least you're recognizing it and you can make a change. We didn't have those choices 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, the, I mean, they did, but not, it wasn't spoken of much, you know. You, you so, will be surprised right. how quickly things come back and how strikingly different it feels. Because we have been, I've been, I've referred many, many people for this therapy. Now, the only potential side effects, really, obviously, the breast cancer issue, which we talked about, and this endometrial mm-hmm. cancer, which you reduce, as Susan said, by taking the progesterone. But the male, the hair loss, hair growth, deepening of the voice, and uh, aggression. Sometimes people complain that they they get aggressive and irritable from the testosterone, but that's. <laughs> Yeah, you, you did you take birth control pills when you were younger? Oh yeah, did, I think from the time I was like twenty one till forty. And, and how did those affect you? Do you remember? Not you know, not I don't really remember having any side effects whatsoever. Okay. I never had any weight gain or yeah. anything, but I pretty I'm a healthy eater and I work out oh. a lot, so I think I stave a lot of that off. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason why they pulled me off of it is because I actually got high blood pressure from work stress. Mm. And they felt like that was maybe compounding some of that. So they pulled me off of that and I got an IUD Great. Um, after that. All right. But that's all gone now. That's a, so. Again, that's sort of predictive that this will, something you'll tolerate rather well. Yeah. Okay, good so luck. So the 15th, I go in. Thank you. Yeah, yeah just find somebody who really knows their stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah, it has to be somebody who knows. Uh, Something weird just happened on my computer. What's that? It says Assistant D wants to log in. Unapproved caller. No. No. Security agent may be invoked by Apple. I know, but it's it's like freaking my computer out. How do I turn this off? Uh, Susan, I'll I'll fix. I'll I'll fix. It's not on the streaming. I'm just shutting everything. I'm going to turn off my computer, right? 
Uh, your Apple computer? Yeah, somebody's trying okay. to get into my yeah. computer. Right? Yeah, let, uh, I'll I'll, I'll wire in and I'll fix that right after the show. Yeah, just don't allow any of that. It, that seems I'm getting, like someone's. I'm getting. Uh, Harry, I'm getting a cyber Harry, attack going on? here. Hilarious. Oh, hi, <laughs> hey my, my name's Ariel. Ariel, what's happening? <laughs> oh, I remember listening <laughs> to KFI ever since I was like twelve. So this is kind of an interesting development that we're finally on spaces together. You mean you mean K Rock? <laughs> K no KFI, you know, AM or uh, Dr. Drew, are you on KFI? He was on KBC. KBC. KABC, my bad. I'm I get them confused here and there. But but I, I do listen I do listen to KABC too. Those were my two favorite radio stations to, I know, to kind I of like him to. on KBC too. He was so good. Mm. Right. And, and four days ago, somebody just mentioned birthday and I just wanted to mention four days ago, it was my birthday. Oh, happy so. birthday. Happy birthday. Same oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it so much. Um, so the topic is responding to media misinformation mm. and calls on any topic. Okay. Well, um, my topic that I'd like to bring up is I would love to see the end of political polarization. Wouldn't that be nice? Because, you know, you know, because it's, it's, and I, and I think Twitter spaces is the best place to do it because I have had people who lean left and who lean right in when I host spaces and we have such cordial, friendly conversations. And I, I just think that, that, um, you know, uh, uh, let me just give you a little bit of background information. I was a former Trump supporter who went to the Yang Yang because, you know, as a, as a millennial that I saw that a lot of, yes, yes, indeed. Andrew Yang, I saw that, you know, all the middle-class jobs that were being gutted, out of the economy when I came of age here in California, that was shocking to me. We were told that if we all just put our heads down, mm -hmm. study hard and get a college degree, that the economy, you know, wouldn't leave us behind. And that's not what happened. And so I thought that Trump, since he was a businessman, would do a better job for us in the economy. But that's not what happened either. But then when Andrew Yang started talking about how artificial intelligence and automation were getting rid of all of these middle-class jobs and the idea of a universal basic income, mm -hmm. that's when I went from the far, not too far right, kind of to the center right, mm -hmm. to more a little bit of the center left. Okay. So if I can see things from both sides, I think a lot of people can see things from both sides. I completely agree. I, I think that discourse and, and being involved with each other and just interacting and sharing ideas that that's the whole deal um thank you ariel bobby i've got you up here you it's so refreshing yeah yeah it's nice that's yeah i all these positive things like i thought we'd get a bunch of trolls on twitter if we took instead of clubhouse because i thought oh god we're not screening the call so we're going to get a bunch of people calling you names when they come on and nobody has yet i'm so excited bobby so refreshing um, two things. Um, one, a quick comment on the last speaker. Yeah. That uh, I I do believe that if you break things down to topics, mm. I I have a list of thirty top issues um, that we all face as individuals and as citizens. And when we have discussions about these issues 
one by one. Uh, I have found that discussions on Twitter spaces or Clubhouse to be very productive mm-hmm. and very collaborative. So uh, I'm optimistic. Good. Uh, it's when we start with this menu of which side are you on, are you do you like the National League or the American League that yeah. everything breaks down? It, it's so weird sure. to me with if, if you take a position, let's you know what whatever it might be, then you become automatically X or Y. You, you're not allowed to have a, a mix of positions on different issues. Uh, that's just never, ever been like that before, that people are running to one side of the boat or the other. It, it's, it reminds me of a personality disorder, frankly, when things are all one way, all the other. And uh, I'm glad to hear that people are into the reality of the, the gray zone, which is what, where everyone really is. I stopped what, looking at Facebook during Trump's reign. And I was like, I just couldn't take it. It was mm. just like, what are you talking about? What What is wrong? Can you just say something nice today instead of just trashing everything that he's done every single minute of every single day over and over again? What do you, Bobby, what do you think? Uh, is there a number one or two topic on your list? Well, I think, um, I think, um, I think we have a gerontocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have a little bit of corruption. And the longer people stay in office, it seems the more things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we need kind of um, fresh blood coming into the system. I think the numbers of the average age of Congress are pretty high. And um, I think the mindset, it's like we have a gerontocracy that's run on COBOL, mm-hmm. an old operating system. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to fix that because the only way out of our fiscal problems are through improving productivity. And I think if we improve productivity in healthcare and education and in the public sector, right away, we can, we can knock um, 3 trillion off the, uh, the deficit. Where, so are, I'm optimistic. Where, where are you located? I'm located in Nyack, New York. It's hard to to have that kind of optimism when you're in California. California is full of young representatives, and it's a freaking disaster, and, and completely disconnected from reality. And it's it's a it's a mess. Like I I almost can't express. I don't understand how they can just keep marching down the road they're marching down. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, so, and of course, you know, your state and your local governments affect you much more than the federal government. They just do. So, yep. uh, yes. unless we, unless we, I, I, I guess really what's going to happen is pe- most people are going to vote with luggage. That's really what's going to happen. People are going to, I mean, for a young person at like, like Ariel who called a few minutes ago, he said, you know, he wanted to blame it on the federal government, why there was no middle-class jobs for people his age. That has nothing to do with the federal government. In California, you you only you have five percent of people paying ninety percent of the da- taxes, and you have people that are under the state uh, thumb, and very few people in the middle. Very, very, very few. There's no, there's no, no one supports the middle in any way. Yeah. So, um, I want to ask you a question, um, um, and it's about the opioid or uh, opiate. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, epidemic. epidemic. Yep. Yeah. The the numbers are just getting worse. Yes. And not in my wildest dreams. I'm going to be 70. Mm. And not in my wildest dreams that I ever think that opioids 
or I'm sorry about that noise mm-hmm. in the background, right. um, or or heroin or derivative would mm-hmm. would ever come back the way it has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess we're approaching 150,000 uh, fatalities a year. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, if you were to have a five point plan to address this epidemic, it's very easy. Uh, it's very what would easy. you do? I may have more than five points. A, I would change. We have we have laws in California that allow you to use drugs without consequence legally, and to traffic at a certain level without consequence. I would immediately change that. I would not criminalize these people for any of the transgressions. I would have some sort of mandated or or motivated treatment. Some they would have to do something. You have to ask the addicts to do something, or their disease will keep them where they are. So one of the ways to to motivate that is with the legal system. They should not be in prison. They should be in treatment. So we would have to expand residential care. We have to stay, expand availability of psychiatry. We have to expand the availability of medically assisted treatment. We have to expand conservatorship and make them appropriate for this problem so people are under the care of people who are following the directions of a medical treatment team. We have to, um, uh, I have so many different, we have to change the definite, we have to bring back the definition of gravely disabled. Gravely disabled must exist as a criteria under which we can help people Otherwise, we're not allowed to help people no matter how sick they get unless they say, I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to kill somebody else, or I'm in septic shock. Otherwise, we are not allowed to do anything. We have to uh, create, obviously, lots of, lots of environments for people to be. We're going to, in those environments, we're going to have to have levels of care all the way from the acute detox setting to independent living with vocational rehab. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, these are my patients. I've dealt with them for years. I know exactly, I did it for 30 years. I know exactly how this goes. They can, and some of them are not retrievable. Some of them will require chronic custodial care and we have to provide that for them. That's it. It's very, it's, it's not difficult. It's not that difficult, but you have to do it or they die. The part that's missed by all the advocates who say they're living their best life, they're doing what they want, everyone they want to do. Who, you know, who are you to say that they, you know, should be doing anything other than what they're doing? A, they have a condition called anosognosia. The sort of more common lingo calls it denial. The literally the brain ability to have insight into the consequences of their behavior is neurologically blocked. It's called anosognosia. They can't see what's happening to them. And the other issue that they always leave out of their declaration that would just let heroin addicts use their drugs, whatever, is that addiction is, and by the way, I'm not against that as long as somebody is there to try to get them towards treatment. Addiction is a progressive illness and it ends in death. And particularly opiate addiction that is highly predictable. It is progressive and it ends in death. Whether a nurse is administering the drug or the patient is getting it off the street, it's progressive and it ends in death. So that's it. That's my that's my basic uh, sort of plan. <laughs> Is that too much? So, doctor, doctor, no, uh, doctor Drew. We have members of Congress that are um, physicians. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't know how many, but at least a half dozen. Very few have experience with addiction where they understand it. You have yeah. to really understand this this disease. But they they should. I mean, if if you were to hold some kind of um, forum. Uh, for physicians I, in Congress. I, I've tried I, it. I'm sure I, you have. Tried. I tried it in California. Tried in California. Yeah. We, I worked with a, a senator up there to push through a bill to try to reopen the 
Lantern and Petra's short act to try to change the definition of gravely disabled, brought families up there who were begging for, they had, they had resources, they had doctors, they had the treatment centers set up, ready to go, they had a bed for to put their loved one in. If we could just change the law so these families could help their loved one, and they were told to scram. Who are you? Get out of here. Scram. All of them, us, all of us, no, zero, you, you're just, well, who do you think you are is sort of how you, what you're met with. So that's, that's the attitude in, in at least this state. And if this, and this is the state that really cultivates all that. So it, they'll just keep coming here. You know, the, the, you, it's, this is not a federal problem. And I worked with uh, Ben Carson very diligently. He was very, he understood this. I told him the same plan that I, he was like, yep, yep, got it, got it, got it. He's a neurosurgeon. He knew exactly what I was talking about. And, and he came here many times with me and tried to figure out how we could do this. Not with this state. Mm -mm. Thank you. And, um, you know, it, it's heartbreaking. We all know yeah. somebody that has passed away from this. Mm -hmm. and, That's how common um, it is. You know, yeah, and I look back. I used to be um, head of the Little League in town, and that was 20, 30 years ago. And I hear about these kids that I knew as 12 or 13 that have that have overdosed and died. Mm -hmm. And I just can't, you know. Well, there is just, something. The, just, the federal government could go after the fentanyl trade because fentanyl is what's really accelerating the death rate. If you want to just go at it sort of from the way we always have uh is uh you know really go at the fentanyl uh, distribution through the through the cartels uh, and meth too meth is a big part of this whole story and the meth deaths have not yet really hit the hit, oh there we are uh advocates who oppose nomination oh yeah what are you putting that up there for caleb because you tried a category you've tried determined. many oh, yeah, times I've tried. <laughs> I've tried you've tried, tried so many times it to, yeah. it it almost feels like yeah. to me cuz I, I lived in Los Angeles for 11 almost 12 years and it feels to me like all of these the the homeless activists have never actually interacted with or met a homeless person in their life. That's the way that they act. Well, the why why is anybody... They're getting paid, though. They're, getting, are, they're losing their no, money if they I'm, don't, you you're, know. You're right, Susan, but these are sick people on the streets. These are open-air hospitals with no doctors involved in their care. Why are they listening to so-called advocates about how sick people should be treated? That's the insanity of all this. If you just put all of the sick people we have on the streets in walls, just imagine them in a, a building. And in that building, no nurses, no doctors, social workers, and advocates. That's who's looking after them. Yeah. How's that going to go? How's that going to go? It, People with deadly it's illnesses. It's just so sad. It's so sad because it, oh, it you, me, you're it exactly the crazy. person. You understand exactly what's going on there. If I you've treated ever it, been I did in it Los Angeles. Decades. If you've ever interacted with people who are homeless, it's so sad because oh, these, yeah. the activists oh, God, are working so against their best interests. Constantly. Because they're getting paid by the government. No, not the activist. I don't understand the activist at the, all. What, who is there? What do you call them? Lobbyists or activists? No, the governments or? are paid. The, the, there are, there are I, I'm real, totally you know, the real estate is all tied up in this, you know, building these $800,000 units. And there are people that are definitely benefiting from a financial Well, the people that the were fighting structure. you not to be on that committee were activists. Yes. They were, they were spreading these lies and rumors about yes. you on, inter, uh, to get you not on that panel and uh, freak I out would the argue, city. I would argue that it's, it's yeah, and you least, weren't even going to get paid. You were just doing no, it out of the bottom of I didn't want to do it. I did not want to do it because <laughs> I knew it would be a hassle, but I mean, it would be painful. But it was going to cost you money. At least you could have been doing shows at those it times. Is, oh, yeah. for sure. Uh, like for everything sure. else. Yeah. It, 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 was, it is manslaughter, if not flat out murder, that 
that they allow this to go on in the streets. Hokey girl, I've got you up here. You can, uh, there you are. What's up? Hey, Dr. Drew, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. It's your favorite uh, fourth year DDS student. Oh, yes. Hey there. Uh, look, I, I just love calling in because I, I, I have like these biological questions and things and I feel like you're a great influence. Uh, I don't even know where to start on this one because, gosh, there's so much awesome stuff that everyone has been calling in and saying yeah. and all great points. First, I'd like to say that social media is garbage and trash. <laughs> we know that. Uh, they are waking up to that. Yeah, I mean, they literally, uh, God, I mean, also, I, I just want to advocate that, like, you know, getting medical advice or resources or information from, you know, social media avenues such as Facebook and Instagram, probably not the best source. Probably and not, that, like, probably not, all you things know, being you equal. Know, and, you know, it, and it's one of those things, like, you know, in school we have to, you know, learn. They're like, oh, you have a patient, you know, that that let's say hypothetically that says, you know, well, I heard on Facebook that, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. And you have to be able to like, you know, kind of educate them and, and edu kind of basically, you know, how do you handle that? And I want, you know, I guess the, it always boils down to the fact that, you know, you have to be able to, you know, the, the, the credibility of the source matters, you know, like consider the source. Yeah. So I feel like if it comes to something medical, it should be a medical journal, a science journal, right. you know, like and, things and like again, that. And I think I think you and I talked about this last time and let, and let me, let me <laughs> say this again, which is that I, I get frustrated with medical students who become consumed by a single article. So one article has oh, one conclusion, and they now decide this is it. I'm an expert. I understand that. Yeah, here, the, this is the, the we've got the grail. And to to have a medical opinion, you have to have read broadly across all the literature pertinent to that category. You have to have a exactly. deep understanding of it, and then you can contextualize that one study. The one study may be a breakthrough. But you'll you'll know it as a breakthrough if you understand everything else that's out there. If it's exactly. uh, otherwise, it's just another piece of information you pull in as you try to get towards the truth and reach a consensus with with the peers. Right, it's, you can't just you know read one thing and then all of a sudden you know decide. Help, help people understand how how different it is because now you're in your fourth year, you're doing stuff. It, it, the clinical part of it and what you see Absolutely. versus the science. People don't quite get that distance. And I think people Absolutely. get screwed and, up by that. And trust me, I'm not trying to, I really want to emphasize that I'm not trying to sound like a, like a know-it-all or anything like that. It's just that, you know, we study, like you said, we study this, we spend 15 years doing this, we work on it. And it, that's why it's called the practice of medicine, the practice of dentistry, because Nobody knows a hundred percent forever. No, it, you know, and so every patient's different. Everything is, you know, different. But we, we, we know a lot more. I mean, when it comes to, you know, some, you know, I'm not going to tell the the guy that's changing my oil how to do his job because right. I don't know how. I don't know it. Right. You no, know? but like, so I feel like it's one of those things where I feel like I feel like because of social media and everything, like, like you know, just. People, you know, like you said, there's well, it's, people you know, it's out interesting. there misinformation yep. you know, and having, they, everyone's their own doctor. Where'd you right. get your MD from? Oh, WebMD.com. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. You know, and and it, and, it, and, it, and, and we we uh, two things because before the days of social media, uh, peers of mine used to have in their office a, a plaque that said, "Please do not confuse your Google search with my medical training." <laughs> and, and and that and yes. now social media it's gotten even worse because people have these communities of people that are sharing ideas 
that and some and of, that's great. Some but, times you know, it is legitimate. Publish, sometimes it isn't. That's the hard right. part. Right, but it's it's kind yeah. of just I don't know. It's just frustrating. I agree with that hundred percent. You know, Google is not exactly a, a, a credible source for medicine. You know, well, you can go on there and learn let's say how to let's say it eggs, is. Let's say it is again. Minimally, it's, it's different than. So, so what I, you'll, what's going to happen to you, I assume, is what happens to me all the time, is patients will come in with their Google search and plop down, right. plop down a bunch of material that is, from my perspective, is telling me the sky is blue, the sky is blue, the sky is blue. Yeah, yeah. I knew, my I cousin knew, said the sky is blue. I, I knew, I, I knew, I knew the sky was blue. I knew the sky yeah. was blue. I, I know that. I know that. And but they think they're coming upon new information because they've never seen all this before, and so exactly. they're, they're, you need to know this. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we know, we know. Um, and, but you know, it's interesting that I just noticed lately some, something is happening where people are really not getting what clinical experience is all about. Yes. Um, and I think that social media takes that away from well, us. But, but just help me for a second. Cause I, cause I'm seeing this in every conversation I have about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. I I've had a lot of clinical experience with those two medication and they don't do very much. And people are like, oh no, you need more, you need more of this, you need more of that, you need it earlier. I done it all. But and as compared to a monoclonal antibody and Paxlovid, where I see marked response, like clear response in dicey situations sometimes, that that's a difference that defies whatever the science actually tells you. It, it, the the clinical experience informs us because something you've seen about, it happen yeah, you've watched it yeah. progress you've seen you've watched it and, and learned for yourself like you know this works i've seen it work versus reading a, a you know in a in a textbook or whatever yeah. and i i totally get that and I, I guess you know I, I don't mean to take up all your time but i guess what i really want to know from you today dr drew because yes, trust me i mean if i could pick your brain for years i would mm. but what I want to know today is because of this, I mean, even in undergrad at Virginia Tech, Hokies, they didn't know much about hepatitis C at the time. Mm. Now we know, obviously, I mean, that tells you how long the, the, the medical and medicine and dental mm -hmm. and all of that career is. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. we have Harvoni. Yeah. I'm just curious, you know, I'm you tell me because, I mean, obviously – you would know a lot more than I would, but when I hear the word cure, I don't like it. I'm hesitant to believe cure, like, oh, it's cured and well, never going to come back. That's, I'm the, thinking about the virology, the, the No, it is, it is, that's, that's the point. You're, the, the clinical reality is certain genetic subtypes can be cured and never come back. Much the way a bacterial illness can be cured and not be an issue, then that's that's great. So yeah. like so like and, if and you, let's I, it's, say... it's funny because I was actually you'll find my name on an article, nineteen eighty-five or eighty-six or something, um, regarding use of ribavirin in hepatitis C, which is what we were trying to do early on. And so we, we, I, this was, you know, and then we didn't even know about the genetic subtypes then. We didn't have that information. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a great example of how these things evolve. It just evolves exactly. very slowly. And back at that time, now here's a good clinical story. Back at that time, the prevailing wisdom was hepatitis B sh could not be transmitted sexually. Well, B or C? Are we talking about C? C. C. B, B obviously can. C, but C was right. the, the the prevailing wisdom in 1985 Blood. was it cannot be transmitted sexually. And I had a now it turns out some genetic subtypes 
are prone to sexual transmission. We know that now. But at that time, I had a patient come in and she goes, I am telling you, my husband was a drug addict. I got it from sexual contact. That's how I got it. I remember her just, she's like, look, that's how I got it. I know that's how I got it. Mm -hmm. And the hepatologist was like, nah, she's not, she's lying, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, no, this is, but again, it's just an example of how clinically it walks through the door before the science catches up with it. Is my right. Point. It takes time. Yeah, it, takes it takes time, time to develop time. these things. Years, months, years. You know. Yes. And and so I think that's a great example of showing that you know in undergrad. I mean, that was probably like ten years ago now for me. Ten years ago, we had you know no idea. Even the immunologist yeah. who wrote the textbook, yeah, Elgard Klaus. You know, he thought he was so great, and he was. He was great, but he had really nothing to say about why there isn't a vaccine uh, for Hep C at the time. Yeah, uh, but we've we've developed so much. So I guess I'm. I guess I just wanted to ask you, like, you know, I have, uh, you know, an uncle, for example, who has or had Hep C, went through the six month mm-hmm. treatment. Mm-hmm. And his kids are like still afraid of like, you know, because he's not exactly the most sanitary. You know, if he cuts mm. his finger, he doesn't care. He just, you know, kind of a stubborn kind of guy. So like, should they be concerned you about gotta like, find you know, it. You, they should, They got to talk to the hepatologist. What, what is the subtype? Is it cleared? Is there any chance of recurrence? And does he have a viral load at all? That's uh, thank my dear. Good luck with your training. Uh, appreciate you calling in. Uh, let me have you guys. A lot of you are want to talk up there. Susan, how are we doing on time wise? I'm good. Keep going if you want. Okay. Dan, what's going on? Oh, yeah, you're up there, Dan. And and you're unmuted, yet we can't hear you. So it must be something at your microphone or your computer, something like that. It looks like he dropped off. Ah, well, that that would explain it. Uh, Okay, I'm going down the line here. Uh, Oh, a lot of people have sort of reshuffled. (laughs) Um, she has a lot of energy. Yes. Uh, whoops. Meg, go ahead there. Mm-hmm. Meg? Meg. Come back, Meg. Sometimes they forget to push the uh, oh, unmute. Hi, Meg. Hi, thank you. Um, this is a great uh, space you're having with media information. Um, this is actually, this is, this is definitely needed. Um, my quick question is actually a little bit different um, from COVID. It's um, it's pretty personal, so I, I do um, I I do apologize. I'm it's it's pretty personal. Are you, um, are you sure? Are you okay? I mean, think about it before you say anything. You okay? Well, it will be it. Yes, it it is. But um, at the same time, um, it's gotten to a point where it's almost it's important to share um okay so the case is um i'm trying to figure out um i like i do not i i hear have very conflicting information about um the Mm -mm. did we lose we lost you there for a second the what meg about the puberty blockers okay very, very conflicting information. And I have, I do not know. I do not. I, I am curious as to what the, um, I'm not, I'm not a parent. So thinking this, but just, um, what the, what an answer would be. Um, because actually puberty was so traumatic with me for me, um, that I 
developed a really serious eating disorder mm-hmm. and it's still going on. So I, I wonder if, you know, I just personally for me, I'm like, oh man, I, I wish my parents could have put me on purity blockers for 10 years. And to, to, but, to, um, to train, to change gender or just to block puberty until you develop just, more, just, block, just, just block puberty, just to block puberty. That's interesting. I, I had not really contemplated people having puberty blocking agents to treat whatever stressors were getting to you at that point, or maybe, you know, somehow trickling through puberty in a way that's more tolerable. Um, I, I don't have an answer to that. I've never even contemplated that. I don't know if anyone, the, the world. When of, did she have puberty? How was it early? No, 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 no. It was, um, I mean, I'd probably say like, you know, 14, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Um, Normal. And so I, it's, it's hard to know if, you know, it's the, the world of, pubertal blocking, you know, clinically doing, you know, administering pubertal blocking agents, this is a new thing, right? This is a new intervention. This is not something that, hey, we've just been doing forever. No, no, this is something new. And the 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 challenge that I have been issuing that I believe is the main challenge of these new treatments is how to pick the right patient for the right treatment, which is always the problem. I mean, you know, in, in medicine, Diagnosis, then treatment, right? And that's based on the fact that diagnoses have a common biology and a common natural history. And you can study that in relation to multiple treatments till you find the one that has the best outcome for the, the individual patients. We, we just, I, I don't know what that we're there yet with that kind of data. We're, we're using them quite liberally and we'll get some data soon. Um, whether or not people would, would use it and uh, contemplate using it for uh, for stringing out puberty or delaying puberty for development seems to me if you know that's a reasonable thing that's a reasonable i mean it's a medication like any other it has a hormonal effect rather than a, say a neurobiology you know maybe you were depressed at that time and they gave you a neurobiological agent why is giving a hormonal a blocking agent that much different. Well, it has developmental things and it has medical consequences of getting in the way of that development. And I assume we'll learn more about that with time. It's just an interesting question. I, I don't know the answer to it. Uh, and I'm sorry you suffered through that time. Puberty is not kind to anyone. Uh, and it, it, Susan, would you agree it's particularly not kind to women? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, largely... Because men mostly feel aggressive and out of control, and they act out. Women sort of act out on each other a little bit, isn't that kind of? Yeah, it's true. And then we we judge ourselves based on our friends, what they think of us, and we're very cruel to each other, especially during puberty, and to men. I wish I had more uh, meaningful answer for her. Intense, intense. Uh, Let me see. And an eating disorder is just such a tricky thing, too. I'm going to try Dan again. uh, See if he wants to give it a shot. There, we're connecting with Dan. Dan, are you there? Hello, Dr. Drew. Hey there. Hey. I first want to say that sometimes on uh, Twitter spaces, there's a bit of a bug when you grant someone speaker access and then sometimes you lose audio. Mm. Um, so that may be what some other callers are experiencing. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, there's yeah. a lag. Mm, true. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I had a question about, uh, so something that's been doing the rounds on social media um, a week or two ago was a study around how uh, serotonin wasn't what people thought it was yeah, yeah. for the antidepressants. Yeah. And 
I was wondering when you were talking about, you know, how you have your clinical experience and how that is quite different to the data side of things, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this another scenario, you think, where the antidepressants, do, do you have clinical experience where you think, yeah, it's definitely working or is it something where it's not so clear? It's ask the question again. Uh, you're, you're asking, do they actually work? Is that what you're asking? Yes. In your clinical experience, have you noticed, do antidepressants work? And what do you think of okay. that study? Did it show what people yeah. thought it was that so, antidepressants so, were working? So nobody that works in psychiatry, I'll never say nobody because I'm always surprised, but the, there's there, there should have been nobody who worked in psychiatry who believed that the serotonin mechanism was the sole means by which antidepressants work, if at all. It, everybody in psychiatry understands that that is just a an observation that's probably a predominant mechanism. It's a piece of the story. There's anti-inflammatory properties in antidepressants through the sigma-1 mechanism. There are multiple, multiple mechanisms of action. There's uh, The uh, uh, corticotropin-releasing hormone is implicated in the use of antidepressants. The uh, mineralocorticoid glucocorticoid system is is deeply affected by this. The GABAergic system is affected by it. The uh, the beta the uh, excuse me the atrial natriuretic peptide is affected by antidepressants. These there's multiple mechanisms, and we we I think we just it became part of the common lingo to explain to patients what we were trying to do. It became a it became a placeholder for look. We don't know exactly how these things work. They clearly affect the biology of the brain in ways that have clinical utility because we see it. We see it all the time. People get better. They feel better. They, you know, It has side effects, and I don't think we, I would say clinically, people aren't as diligent as they should be with those side effects. They also should be working hard to get people off these medications if, pos- if it's at all possible because, it's, they, have, because they have protein effects. I, you know, you, it has lots of effects on who you are and how you feel. Don't you want to be able to regulate your emotions autonomously as a whole being? It seems to me that philosophically that should be the goal. But uh, the idea that this is not a serotonergic system uh, was never an issue, was never a question. It was, it was not anything that ever, anybody ever uh, really uh, that, was work, that worked in the field um, gave any notice to because we knew it was a, I, and we also knew that different people were having different mechanisms that's why the antidepressants we had to, we have to kind of move through lots of them and find out you know how to how to get the the system activated we're looking for for that particular patient um but they do work they work like crazy but they're you know grossly overused they're overprescribed by primary caretakers who have almost no training in psychiatry and pfft, you know, there's lots of problems. Don't get me wrong. Lots of problems with it. But um, the serotonin thing, I, I was shocked that that may even made a news story because um, <laughs> that was not something that uh, people in psychiatry really worried about. I've got an article in front of I think of he passed out. He passed out every day. <laughs> no, he's on he's <laughs> muted. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, no, no. Yeah. He's like, I, wow, that was long-winded. Whew. <laughs> Did you get all no, that? that? Like, wow. I mean, we you know yeah, we know that there's the 5-HT1A system and all that is 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 prominent, but 
but it's not it's not the story it's not the story it's a feature of the story and and it's one that we know a lot about you know because that those synaptic mechanisms have been highly studied but no one ever kidded the kid you know there's also genetic things that are turning on and off in the brain during during antidepressant therapy so no one ever kidded themselves that that was the whole story of antidepressants I think this is a good example of something where even myself, I just read the headline and maybe the first paragraph and I think, oh, they don't work. Oh, yeah. You know, so how many other people were thinking that, you know? And that wasn't, and by the way, that wasn't what the article was. The article was serotonin isn't the main mechanism. And yeah, it's not. uh, That shouldn't be a headline. And again, yeah. it's, 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 what that is, is Gelman's amnesia again, Gelman amnesia. So I know a bit about this field. So they report it. They don't know anything about it. And I see how, how vacant their understanding is and how little they actually are reporting reality. And I assume when they report about, uh, you know, peace, peace rapport in the Middle East, that they do know what they're talking about. But guess what? Those are even more complicated issues and they don't report those any better, I'm sure. So yeah, that's sort cool. of thanks for that. All right, you got that. If you want to, if you want an article, Caleb, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, send you an article, Caleb, that you can post. Uh, yes, I'm gonna post it this, on the website. Uh, that'll be at drdrew.com. I will send that to you right now. Actually, I can, no, I can't. They can actually go directly to it if they're watching the show. You can scan the QR code and go straight there, or just go to drdrew.com/slash nine eight two zero two two nine eight twenty twenty two, and they can see it right now. I'm going to post no, it once, once I get your, your message. I'm, I'm sending it, yeah, I'm sending <laughs> right. it to you right now. <laughs> Time travel. Here it is. It's just a nice broad article about the different mechanisms of uh, action for antidepressant therapy. And they don't even mention the anti-inflammatory one, which we think is actually pretty big. When, what is that article from? I just sent you. Let me see where it is here. It's from, uh, hold on, sorry. Oof, we've been talking a long time here. Susan, you're doing okay? Yeah, that last one was really intense. Really intense? Yeah, really? <laughs> it just bored you, that's all. Uh, let's see. It was written, and is this from? Uh, 2005. 2005, all the different uh, mechanisms. Let me see, really quickly. Fresh anxiety, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Tom Cigars, wait, don't go. Oh, really? We'll keep going. Yeah, they don't even mention the, this is 15 years old, 17 years old, and it doesn't even mention the anti-inflammatory stuff that we think is important. Let me, let me um, also pull that up, the so-called, well, I'll do it, Sigma 1, and e, this is a New England Journal article. I don't know if you can get these up, though. Sorry. Uh, oh, can't get it. Uh, okay, so let's try another call while I what is the here. What is the um, antibiotic I'm taking? Uh, did you did you tell me amoxa amoxicillin? No, Amox, it's not amo- uh, doxycycline. Doxycycline. <laughs> yeah. See so you guys. I can't even keep track of what I take. Ask the big guy. Mike, go ahead there. Mike's still there. Mike, you got a. Hello. There you are. What's happening? Oh, hey, uh, thank you very much for taking my call. Oh, that's mm-hmm. my dog. Sorry about that. Right. Um, first of all, uh, to, be a star. <laughs> to address uh, what you said at the very beginning of the show about uh, forming uh, an opinion about somebody who did something good, even though they had some bad things going on in their mm-hmm. life. Tell me, yes. Um, you um, obviously, uh, Jordan Peterson would say that it's really important to form a narrative in order to understand what's going on uh, in the world around you. But uh, Daniel Kahneman would also say that uh 
Uh, sometimes our opinions are formed by confirmation bias. Oh, and yeah. although yes, we have to form an opinion about the world, that sometimes that opinion can can be misleading. So we need to keep in mind of our biases and, and be open to other ideas. But but uh, people are not. We're just not. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and that's the yeah, hard well, I mean, part. I, I try. I try. And yeah. this is why, like, it's really hard for me on the one hand where generally I understand the value of a vaccine. And I also understand that there's a social element to it too. I mean, I'm, I'm young and fit enough where like I didn't need the vaccine, mm -hmm. but I wanted to encourage other people to be confident about it because on the one hand, sure, they were afraid of COVID maybe needlessly, but if the vaccine was harmless, well then what's, what's keeping you, right? right. So I, I kind of wanted to participate. So I, I got the Pfizer as soon as it was available to me back in like January 2021. I didn't really have a terrible reaction. I mean, the second one was difficult, but whatever. Um, and then when December rolled around and the booster was available, uh, I said, okay, I would like, you know, a broader range of immunity. And so I got the Johnson and Johnson one. And it was my understanding that may or may not be correct. It was based off of a dead virus rather than an mRNA. So I said, okay, good, yeah. you know, diversity. Yeah. So, um, <sighs> In late February, my wife lost her pregnancy because it was a molar pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And now I understand that obviously that if, if you are pregnant or wanting to become pregnant, female, and you're going to take the vaccine. Well, obviously vaccines of one type or another, I, I, I'm sorry, this is why I'm asking you the question, but I don't know how it would affect a woman, but certainly it, it's closer to uh, the point of conception. But for a man, because I'm the one who took the vaccine, mm -hmm. how is it that something like that could affect my genetic makeup to the point where it I may have caused it? I don't see how. You know, molar pregnancies happen, right? They happen. I, I, w I would not. I would not begin to think cause and effect. I, because, at very least, I would expect us to see a, a signal that somehow male, you know, genetic material was being altered at, at the level of meiosis, and it just. There's nothing like that out there, and moles happen once in a while. They just—they're just major genetic errors, and the thing is no good. And that's not what they're seeing from the women being vaccinated either. What they're seeing with that is these—they think they're seeing—is perhaps uh, you know real spontaneous abortion, which is different than having a molar pregnancy. I right? see. Yeah, I wouldn't. Don't blame yourself for that. I, and I would forge on. Uh, you know, again, significant percentages of, of, of pregnancies end in the first trimester, and molar pregnancies is one of the reasons that that happens. Your wife's okay, right? It didn't it didn't spread or anything, right? I mean, no, very very fortunately, uh, the DNC was done very delicately, very expertly, and Good. she did not have any long term effects. Right. Uh, that is to say, like a hysterectomy or something. Mm. Uh, and and moreover, she's she's being treated by by a very sensitive physician that's looking Good. at her. Uh, Okay. And her whole health picture and, and checking her hormone levels to make sure that uh, there weren't any cells remaining, that mm -hmm. it doesn't uh, uh, become cancerous or return. And that uh, from, from what limited knowledge, it's, it's my understanding that we don't have a full picture of all the hormones that are in the body that indicate that a person is still fertile. Mm -hmm. But from what we have been measuring, she does still seem Oh, capable. yeah. I'm sure she'll be fine. I'm sure that will be okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot to go through, though. I know it, it's kind of, it shakes your... It shakes you to your core when somebody gets sick like that. These are dangerous things in reality. 
Um, you guys, I feel myself running out of steam. We've almost gone for two hours here. Uh, let me wow. let me go. I have not. Yeah, I have not looked at the restream in a minute. So if you guys would give me a second, uh, what's going on with you guys? Tom Cigars wants me to go six hours. Susan, you want to do that? Want to do a six-hour maybe on Monday next week? We have dinner reservations in forty-five minutes. I know that's why I'm trying to to wrap it up. Is it only forty-five minutes? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, okay. It's been a fun show. It has been good. I I I came in with not a lot of energy. A and lot of inter information. And good. Very excited. You have a big crowd here. We so, do. Weird. Yeah, lots of good. Well, what do you guys want? To, I I would love to take some advice about what you guys want to hear me talk about, or what we what do you want? To, do you want some thematics here? Do we want to, you know, back in the day, of course, we did lots of relationship stuff. We've not been doing any of that lately. Yeah, you can do that at after dark. <laughs> okay, let's just keep it there. We're not so, going to talk about vaginal nerves. Well, here. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to dead? have people from the. I have uh, enough humiliation on After Dark. I don't want. I'm going to have people <laughs> from the uh, Fox Show come around. We'll get some of those people in here. Oh yeah, soon. can you put the picture of the tweet up of him flying out of the helicopter, Caleb? Can you get that I'm on? Not, the I'm not sure that's me. I think that's. Uh, it doesn't matter, Jamie Lynn, But I want you that to is... explain that. I want you to explain um, that to everybody. You got to see it. You got to see it. It's oh, okay. Yeah, there it is. So scroll it up a little bit. We're losing the, there it is. So we dove out of helicopters into the Red Sea. That's what we did for fun. Uh, and you, we flew over there. So you see the, the, the rails that the helicopter lands on. I'm going to tell you getting out on the, see how there's two of them, Susan? Yes. I had to go out on that bottom one. Yeah. And that was hard because I was so tall that I was getting up towards the propeller and there's a, a, a staff in the helicopter with you just yelling at you just telling you what to do and you just do it yeah and, and you had to go backwards yeah you fall you, have to you fall put your hands backwards. over your chest and you just fall you fall through your feet kind head of backwards, first in and you fall in head first like that that's what happens and then you got to drive then you got to swim to shore which was its own with your deal. clothes on your boots and i know casey gates is out there going yay but um Honestly, it the story is unbelievable. This is going to be one of the best shows on TV coming out in January. Special Force, special, special forces, forces so far. What what's the last three? The uh, the ultimate challenge. The ultimate. Yes, I can't say it. But Which special it forces. Was. It was the so ultimate incredible. Test. Ultimate test. Yeah. So we we went. We met a bunch of people who were in it too, and um and we heard all the stories, and it it's just amazing, and the camaraderie behind between these celebrities now is amazing yeah they we've we have so much respect for the, the special forces and the military what yep. they have to go through to to be these they you have to be an animal to be able to do this I oh mean, yeah it's ridiculous. you got to be a, of, a, of a different and, and you have to have a really strong mind and you have to have a yeah. strong body of course but um the um, experience was really 100 percent, even though it was the craziest thing you've ever done in your life I mean, yeah, it was well worth it. I, it, I wish. Well, what I'll, you'll see what 120 happens. degrees, you know, just mm -hmm. thrown together with a, 16 people, and there. If I mean, I have the whole list on Twitter of of the of the people in the cast, but um, great people, mm -hmm. by the way, mm -hmm. really good time. Yeah, for you. Yeah, I think it's it's opened up your friendship quota too like you've made new <laughs> friends you, you're all trauma bonding together we are trauma having... bound we are all trauma bound that is for sure so it's coming well, up in january but i don't know i don't know what we're we're not allowed to say there they are there's everybody so we're allowed to talk about who's in there and uh it's like mel b it's uh, carly lloyd it's jamie lynn it's mike piazza anthony scaramucci uh kenya moore 
Uh, who is Hannah? It? Hannah Brown, the Bachelorette. Um, the soccer player. Uh, Carly Lloyd, I said. Oh, you did. And, um, oh my gosh. Uh, oh, uh, the gymnast. Howard in there and uh, and Montel, Montel Jordan. Okay, and that's that's our group. Um, we're missing somebody. Oh, feel bad. We're missing somebody. Yes, oh, Danny Amendola. I did say Danny. I think and Gus. Gus is uh, Gus the, the, the uh, skier. Yeah, they're so nice. So. Anyway, there we you are. You guys are all bonded, and he left. He left us for a couple of weeks to do that, and good thing he got home alive. That's right. It was pretty intense. Sh shit goes down. I'll just tell you, shit goes down. So, it's intense. Yeah. Intense. And uh, we're going to bring one of our staff members in here to talk to us uh, in a couple of weeks. It'll be really I know. I'm not making it sound as exciting as it really is. It's going to be probably one of the most epic shows on television. It was an epic experience. When it, when and if anybody lives in England, you've probably already seen it there. Yes, so. it's called uh, SAS, the Celebrity SAS in England. And, uh, yeah, that's why Mel B came over here because she was a huge fan of the show. I wanted to do it over here. Okay, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you all for being here today. I appreciate it. Appreciate the questions. Appreciate the Twitter spaces. As always, we'll do it again Monday, Susan. Monday? Uh, yeah. Tuesday. If it's around, if it's... No, no. Think Susan, I don't know. Gonna... We have to clear that with Caleb because he has to be available. Well, yes, you can do one no, of your I little... I have to clear that with the baby. But Susan can do a little dose thing on, on Monday if she wants. No, I can't. You can't? No. Why? You used to do that all the time. I'm not doing a little dose thing. Mm. Sorry. Okay. Well, Nobody we'll misses that, Drew. If, if, not, if not Monday, <laughs> it, it will. Be, I do. If not Monday, it will be uh, Tuesday. Uh, same time. We have uh, Harry Reich. What's his first name? Dr. Uh, Harvey Reich coming in next week. Mm -hmm. He is a world-class epidemiologist. And uh, you listen to the way he talks, you'll start to understand. I think Dr. Alexander said it perfectly. He goes, when you hear him talk, you understand the way epidemiologists should think and be trained. They're really well-trained epidemiologists as a, are a rare breed, and they're very interesting to talk to. So I look forward to that on Wednesday at 3. Be here Tuesday at 3. Probably just questions again like we did today. Uh, maybe Monday as well. But we'll see you all next week. Have a good weekend. Ta-ta. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Oh.